Hello everyone, I'm Dana Stewart-Bullock and this is Transformational Therapeutics. In today's podcast, I will be talking about power. I will, of course, first define it and then talk about how to see power in a whole new way, a way that originates in the definition of power itself. Power means different things to different people. The word power comes from the Latin passi, which means to be able. So I use the term in that context. To be powerful is to be full of ability. Powerlessness is lack of ability. Simply that. Lack of ability in any arena, be it physiological, sensory, emotional, social, whatever. In this model, it is seen as a form of powerlessness, a lack of skill. The goal of transformational therapeutics is self-empowerment. So welcome. My dear friend Rebecca Doring, a healer in her own right, has joined me for today's topic. Hey there, Dana. Hi, Rebecca. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. And I'm so excited about this topic. I love the definition and the way you presented the definition of power. Could you explain a little bit more about that definition and why it means something to you in that way? So once again, I'll start with the definition of the word power. And power comes from the Latin word posse, which means to be able. And Webster's Third International Dictionary defines it as assignable boundaries to sovereign. So there's an aspect of boundaries included in the word power that I think is important as we move along. So for me, powerful means to be full of ability, to be able to be full of ability. And powerlessness is lack of ability. So it's simply that. And so I would like to start really talking about, on a physiological level, how I see power inside of our bodies, because I think it starts from there. Yeah, tell us about that. Well, when I talk about power and I talk about perception, perception usually applies to how we see, but I'm going to broaden the definition to all of our senses. So it's how we see, how we taste, how we feel, how we hear, and how we smell. This is how we interact with our worlds around us, and, and our physiology then takes that information and does something with it. And the basic physiology in our bodies has to do with regulating our physiology. And the word regulate comes from the Latin for rule. So it's really about what is ruling your body in any instance. And that's, a, for me, a fundamental aspect of true inner power, that your physiology is working for you and not against you. And so regulation is about rule, what rules in your body. And I think our culture is profoundly unregulated. Let me just define the regulation states are about sleep, wake, pee, poop, take in nourishment, let go of nourishment, heart rate, breathing, those are all fundamental physiological functions that are required for health and for function in the world. If they are on that fundamental level not working to one's benefit or to empower somebody, that has an impact on everything. Absolutely. I think every one of us has probably had an issue with one of those things before. And when it is, it can change everything, the whole course of your day. And it also just culturally, when, when we look at regulation, we look at people who are on drugs. That's an attempt to regulate your system. 
somebody who is, for instance, constipated, is not regulated, somebody who has sleep problems is not regulated. So these are really fundamental aspects that in our culture are lacking from what I see. And so you're saying that this lack of regulation is correlated with our own power? Yes, because I think that if your physiological systems are regulated and you're so fundamentally being able to do like peeing and pooping and sleeping and waking and that your heart rate is normal, that your blood pressure is normal, that your breathing is is healthy, then that influences you from the inside out. Which would enable you to have more power, give you more ability. Ability. more It's like ability on a cellular level, on a physiological level, that your cells are performing their function, that your cells are, that your chemistry is... So I back it way up to that basic fundamental state. If I am not able to regulate myself, if I need uh, some sort of a drug to regulate me in that arena, I'm powerless. I'm dependent on an external source, a drug, something like that. I'll share a personal anecdote that when I was younger, I grew up with tons of digestive problems. And I know firsthand what that can do and how much that impacts every aspect of my life versus now when things are functioning as they should. It's huge. Such a difference. Yeah, I just also wanted to talk about emotional regulation. So I'm, I'm talking about physiological, but now I'd like to go into the emotional realm developmentally from when we're infants on up the learning the ability to self-soothe if you oftentimes later on in life if you cannot self-soothe and quiet yourself that's a skill that you did not learn in childhood and that to me is a lack of power in that arena i can't comfort myself and i'm not saying all the time but we should have the ability to soothe ourselves on some level and that ability is learned very young in life So without that ability, we oftentimes go to external sources for soothing. And for me, that's oftentimes the basis for an addiction. can be a drug addiction, a a sex addiction, a food addiction. We use those things to quiet our systems, to soothe ourselves, and to regulate our emotions in a lot of ways. Sure, that makes so much sense that we reach for food when we really need some comfort, we need some soothing, some regulation. We reach for drugs or alcohol or whatever it might be. And it's really an indication of the system that would normally soothe us is not on board. Mm -hmm. So I look at the outcome and then trace it back to what's causing that or where is the lack. Mm. Could you give an example of that? Well, if I eat sugar to soothe my emotional upset, it means that my ability to soothe myself internally is not on board. And there's some symbolic meaning to that. I mean, there's some symbolic meaning that the need for sugar or the want for sugar is really wanting the mother. And you can go and trace that back. But just in this instant, I'm using what's really an outside chemical source. It's food, but it's sugar to soothe myself, which means I haven't developed the ability inside of myself to soothe myself. Could you also say in that example, you haven't developed the possibility of soothing yourself outside of sugar, that in that moment, the only way to self-regulate is sugar. You don't know that there's another possibility. Right. And that to me is really the definition of powerlessness, that I can't, I don't have choice. So to me, choice and power are intimately connected. 
without choice, you're powerless. Internally, my craving for sugar and my not knowing of another way to comfort myself makes me dependent on the sugar and makes me less powerful in that arena. Absolutely. Then the other thing in terms of the actual definition where the dictionary says assignable boundaries to sovereign, that means to be in charge, but within boundaries. And so if you look at your body as boundaried, I mean, your actual form has boundaries to it. The outest boundary would be the skin. So in anything inside of the skin, if you have the ability to regulate yourself inside of your skin, then you have power. If you don't, it becomes a chaotic system. And without the ability to regulate, chaos is what reigns internally in those systems. In terms of emotions, if, if you're not able to regulate yourself emotionally, if you allow anger to take over and act that out, if you allow other emotions, um, it, if you're in thrall to the power of your emotions, then you're not being regulated. Your internal physiology is not able to regulate you. Hmm. And if you look at our culture now, that is everywhere. Sure. The other form of regulation in us is, there are numerous forms. One is the what's called the autonomic nervous system, and that consists of two systems. One is the sympathetic nervous system, and one is the parasympathetic nervous system. These are automatic systems that are supposed to help regulate us. And the sympathetic system is responsible for what's known as fight, flight, or freeze reactions, and the parasympathetic system is known for what's called rest and digest. And these two systems, in order to regulate us, are supposed to be in balance. Having those two systems balanced allows one to adapt to new situations, to new challenges, to new foods, internal challenges, uh, external challenges. So that's one system. The other, another system is just your neurology in general. Are you able to have your nervous system serve you? Is your movement appropriate? Another system is the hormonal system. And I'm sure those of us who've gone for puberty remember that as the hormones are peaking and, and running rampant, we don't have much regulation. We don't have much power. It's a really a chaotic system mm -hmm. in that period of time. Another regulatory system is our immune system. That system is there to protect us and to be on alert to any invading bugs or to any injury we have. So that's another system of regulation. Breathing is another system of regulation. Being able to breathe fully and normally um, is bringing oxygen in in an efficient way. So this all has to do with efficiency in these different systems. So if we go back to teenagers and the hormone system, which is a regulatory system that is developing and is particularly out of balance during adolescence and puberty. And that's normal development. Now there's another part of our brain called the prefrontal cortex. And the prefrontal cortex is the part of us in our brain that chooses what to pay attention to. And that does not finish developing until we're in our mid-20s. And so it, Teenagers don't really have the ability to choose what to pay attention to. It's, it's, a, it's a time of life that's very similar to early 
like two-year-olds, young kids, they don't have the ability to choose what to pay attention to because their brains aren't developed enough. So the way that I see it is that it's the parent's job to literally be the prefrontal cortex for their child until the mid-20s and to direct them and to contain them and make boundaries to the chaos that perhaps hormones are producing until they have the skill inside of their own brains. And that to me is a, a sort of fundamental definition of parenting. Hmm. Right, and so if parenting is done successfully, then with what you just explained, then the parents would be handing their children skills in being able to regulate themselves. And that would be a, a real position of power in, in, in this definition, internally in your own body, so that when you reached adulthood, you would have the skill because it, you had experienced it with your parents and learned and your, your actual systems learned how to regulate during growth. Sure. So that sounds wonderful. And then I think of all the unregulated, powerless parents doing the best that they can and probably passing on unregulated methods and powerlessness to their children. What do we do then? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the most we can do is just to define it right now. It's really, it's a real problem. And it's a real problem in our culture. And one of the real problems is that right now people are letting their emotions take over and are not able to regulate their own emotions and then spew them or project them on others. So then you don't have productive forward movement. You just have conflict. Mm -hmm. And powerlessness. Yes. It's actually quite funny to me that people who think power over others is true power when it, it really isn't. The true power comes from within and ha being in charge of your own systems. Sure, because if you are, then you have no need to be in power over anyone else. Exactly. That need evaporates. Right. And I think it's so aptly demonstrated in Congress right now. It's just everywhere. People are not full of themselves in a way that their systems are working to support them so that they can then communicate with others from a place of power. It's really actually people fighting and arguing with each other is really an indication of lack of power. Sure. It's like they're trying to self-regulate in the most terrible way that's never going to get it. They're well, trying, trying to, to self-regulate by projecting it onto other people rather than really owning their own bodies. Their right. Own. It's like, uh, oh, let me try and control you because I can't, can't control, control me. Myself. Yeah. Yeah. And I can't control my own emotions, so I'm going to spew them everywhere. Mm -hmm. But it's sort of laughable to me. It's just so obviously, it's like watching teenagers or young kids just fight. And it, these adults, it's... I, I find it fascinating. So does transformational therapeutics offer us some hope in this situation? Let me backtrack a little bit because part of all of this systemic internal power has to do with feedback loops. So I'd like to talk a little bit about feedback loops. Mm. And feedback loops are just that. You, you have an interaction either internally within your physiology or externally with another being. In that feedback loop, you send out something and then you receive something back. So if I send out internally a hormone, then my body responds to that hormone. 
And in my brain, that feedback loop is registered. So I'm actually talking about internal equilibrium within the system. And that equilibrium results from feedback loops that are actually functional and working. And it, it has to do with the state of physical balance. And equilibrium actually means balance. There's a scientist whose name is Bud Craig, and it wasn't until 2009, which I find fascinating. He um, does research on brain, and he discovered tracks in the spinal cord that go to a certain area of the brain, and the tracks are only in humans and higher primates, and they have to do with a sense of self. So constantly within your physiology used to be thought that it was unconscious and it was feedback loops from your heart telling your brain what's happening, from your gut telling your brain what's happening, from your lungs, that sort of thing. But it turns out that the receptors for these feedback loops are in all the fascial tissues of your body. And they go to this area of the brain that gives you a sense of self. And he uses the word homeostatic integration so that you have these feedback loops inside of your body operating all the time, giving you a sense of yourself. I had a mentor at Stiles who talked about homeodynamics instead of homeostasis. Homeostasis is a stasis or a stop, and a dynamic means movement. And so having these feedback loops inside of your physiology allows you to adapt to new foods, new situations. Um, they, it affects your coordination, your balance, your posture, your digestion, your breathing. Every system in your body is monitored and influenced by these feedback loops. And then your sense of self in your brain comes from these loops that are continuously firing. So when Bud Craig talks about homeostatic integration, he talks about it in a way that it improves survival. So these are really fundamental forces that are in us that we aren't aware of because we're living in this century and we think we're really advanced. But in these feedback loops, there's a representation in our brain of where we are, how we're feeling, who we are. And so these are active feeling states. He calls them active feeling states and body feelings. For instance, a feeling state that may have happened in response to something that happened to us as a child. Let's just imagine there was some kind of trauma and there was a feeling state associated with it. That has registered in your brain and oftentimes will still be there years later because it hasn't been processed. That is a feedback loop that can keep you powerless in new situations as an adult. So I've talked about times when I have a feeling state that comes up and I know it's from another time and I look around and say, okay, I'm not a five-year-old. I'm not powerless. I'm not helpless. This is an old feeling state. But that comes from acknowledging it and watching it inside of my own physiology. Oftentimes you'll see two adults, like in Congress now, going at each other. They're actually, each of them is in a feeling state, feeling powerless in this interaction. So they're incapable of creating a connection, a healthy connection that promotes forward movement with the person with whom they're interacting. So that, to me, is how power actually manifests, or lack of power manifests, in everyday situations. So if you just imagine training a dog, 
the point in training a dog is to have them self-regulate and modulate themselves. That's what you're doing with a dog. Hmm. That's it. And my job as the owner of the dog is to teach the dog to self-regulate. If you remember Caesar Milan and his, uh, his training of dogs, he always ends up training the human. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but he is teaching self-regulation to the animal. A dog does not have the same prefrontal cortex that we have. He doesn't have the ability to regulate himself unless he's taught it as he joins our society, unless he's taught by a human being. So that's just an instance of self-regulation being taught. Mm. I'm sure I'll get a lot of something for this, but I see little kids as sort of little animals. Sure. And they need to be taught to how to interact and how to regulate and how to calm themselves. And it's the same thing when you're, when you're training a dog. Yeah. Could you also say that we have the ability to train ourselves like you could train a dog? We don't as children. But as adults now, like... Absolutely. <clears throat> Absolutely. With this information, it's like you're handing me a training tool or a training book showing me new possibility to have power, to have ability in my own body, in my own regulation that I didn't know I had before, right? Absolutely. And it's interesting thinking about the word authority. You know, it's like having authority in your own physiology. But authority and the word author are both similar words. And so to be the author of your own regulation, as an adult, may be more difficult if you didn't learn it as a child, because what you're doing is you're changing neurology inside of your brain, and that can be very uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. There's an old saying that um, neurons that fire together wire together. And so if you've not learned self-regulation as a child, I mean, it is a form of addiction. Mm. It's the nerves that are, have been taught to fire together now have to be separated and then rewired in your brain. And that's uncomfortable. It can be done. Just hard work. Sure. Well, even in the context of the training a dog example, just Pavlov's law that if the dog was trained to know that when the bell rings, he gets to eat, then his body right away starts salivating in response to that bell ringing. Then if you stop bringing around the food, the saliva doesn't stop for a little while and still the dog learns something else. And that's because that learning happens in a very primitive part of the brain. It's the survival area of our brain. And that's a much harder wiring to change. Mm. And that is the basis of all addiction. And that's why it's so hard to change addictions. But it doesn't mean it can't be done. Right. Well, and with... Um... And, and let me just interrupt you. So one of, the ways, one of the ways to start in terms of transformational therapeutics is simply to change your perception of how you regulate. Just to look. Look at your cravings. Look at your compulsions. And to see them in a different manner. That would be the first step to try and change that. How would that help? Well, you can't change something if you can't see it. Mm. And because the perceptual system, all of them, all of our senses are tightly connected to our regulatory mechanisms. For instance, I'll talk about a hormone, and I've talked about this before. The hormone oxytocin is, is a hormone that is released by the brain that relaxes your entire body. That hormone is stimulated by touch. So just knowing that, you can use that information to experience touch differently to get relaxation from that. It's a very simplistic answer, but you have to start somewhere. Hmm. Can you 
flesh out what it would mean to observe because you named so many things how would i even begin to start to observe my own self to see it differently could you give some real life examples of things that i could kind of keep an eye out for throughout my day-to-day activities well i've spent i'm just going to use myself i've spent many years in what i would call a sugar addiction and then as i started observing it watching when I have the compulsion to have sugar, it has to do with trying to comfort myself. So then I expanded what I was looking at. When do I most need to comfort myself? It actually has to do with food and eating meals. And then when I look at my history and how I was raised and the trauma that happened to me during eating meals, my brain has conflated or connected eating with fear. And so to untangle that, it's almost like untangling the wiring in my brain. I'm actively now only allowing myself sugar when I already feel good about myself, not when I feel bad about myself. And so when I feel bad about myself, I find other ways to comfort myself, to regulate myself rather than sugar. Mm -hmm. So that's a sort of simple example, and it's taken me a long time to get to this point but it's something that I can do myself. I then gain power in the face of that compulsion for sugar. Sure. And I go from sort of your Pavlov example of the bell rings and I salivate around sugar when I feel bad to now the bell rings and I'm learning how to salivate around sugar when I feel good. It's that simple, Mm. but not easy, but very simple. Right, right. And in doing that, I'm putting order to the chaos that I feel inside of myself. And, and I don't know how else to describe it, except as a sort of a chaotic feeling of maybe you would call it anxiety, dread, but they're chaotic feelings that indicate to me that I'm not regulated in that moment. Sure. And I don't know how to calm myself in that moment. Right. You feel powerless in that moment. And that's something... I think even applying that term to that feeling of anxiety is really helpful, could bring insight. Just the next time that I feel anxious or dread or panicky or something, offering to myself, hmm, am I feeling powerless in some way? And that could open a lot of doors right there and getting, seeing where do I feel powerless? Is there a feedback loop that's there since childhood that I didn't realize? Is there an unregulated part of my body that's there that I didn't realize, and so on. And you can tell yourself that, yes, there is, or you wouldn't have that feeling. Mm -hmm. And emotions in general, emotions are chaotic. They just are. And that's good in some arenas. I mean, if you're full of joy, you're not rigidly holding it, containing it. It's all over the place. Mm. But also, if you're full of anger, that can be the same thing. So emotions are chaotic without order which is an unregulated state. And it's fine for temporary situations, but if you're staying angry, if you're staying chaotic over time, you're powerless. You're powerless to that emotion. You've given us so much information in such a tangible way that I feel like I'm really looking forward to letting this information marinate and start looking at my, just with some curiosity, my day-to-day experiences and looking for the areas where I feel 
powerless. Is there any last things that you would offer or did we cover it all? Well, I think we covered it all. Let me just add that in addition to or instead of using the word powerless, ask yourself, do I have ability in this arena right now? Mm. Am I demonstrating ability? Is my body demonstrating ability? Mm. Wow. Thank you so much, Tina. Thank you, Rebecca.